Guys, I'm so happy to be here. I really, really am. I mean, Jamie alluded to it, but getting here was, was, was challenging, to say the least. So uh, I'm coming on behalf of Restored Temecula and the wonderful people in Southern California, the Restored Family of Churches. Uh, I'm married to an amazing woman. Her name is Ebony. We've been married since 2009, so do the math. I forget, just like anybody else, but what is that, 14 years? <clears throat> Love her very much. I have two daughters, one of which you got to meet already, Amelia, and her younger sister, Vivian. They are 9 and 11 years old. I love being their dad. Um, I'm so encouraged that many of you are intentionally including your children in the rhythms of your own spiritual formation because believe it or not they listen to our how we like they observe how we live way more than they kind of like listen to the words that come out of our mouths and so don't underestimate the like the impact of you guys just including them in your lives and hear me not just like biological parents in the room like your community God's brought you guys together. And I would argue one of the reasons he's brought you together is for you guys to collectively partner together in each of your own spiritual formation and those young ones that are watching every single move you make. And so honor you, bless you, bravo, well done. I want to take notes. I was, talk, I was joke, joking with Jamie and Lisa about like, I want to see how they're doing this integrating kids into kids camp because, man, we have a ton of kids in our church and we have a lot that we can learn from you. So bless you, honor you, stoked to be here. Enough about me. Will you grab your Bibles if you have one? <clears throat> I'm going to talk. I'm going to share a couple different things with you guys <clears throat> over the course of these next couple days. So two different things that I really feel um, the Spirit was highlighting um, and some carryover and some things that I think he's doing in my life, some things that I think he's doing in my church, and some things that I, I think in a unique way he wants to cultivate and do in Harbor City in the unique season that you find yourself in, okay? And so go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn it over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to kind of bounce around in some translations. I'm going to start off here in the ESV. So if you don't have the ESV, it's okay. But if you have access to the ESV, you can pull that up. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read you verses 17 and 18. But before I do, what I want to do is I want to pray. Okay, so if you're flipping there, go for it. And if you already found it, will you just partner with me right now in praying? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we get to be together. Thank you that we get to share with intentionality a handful of moments this weekend in your presence. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would point us to Jesus. Show us Jesus. Show us his glory and his beauty and his goodness and his kindness and his faithful love. I get the sense that you want to maybe challenge some of the things we've been thinking. And with grace and mercy, and care you want to father us. So we posture ourselves in humility, humility saying, like, Lord, yeah, lead us, guide us. Holy Spirit, show us Jesus. Remind us of your presence with us. And we say together, amen. All right, we're going to read a little bit about the Holy Spirit here. <clears throat> but before we do, I want you to do, some, I want you to do a, a kind of a silly exercise with me. I want you to put one hand on your chest. 
I want you to put the other hand on your belly. Listen. The scriptures tell us that if we're in Christ, the spirit of God dwells in us. Think about that for a second. He's in you. And he has an agenda. And I want to I want to touch on one of his agendas that I believe is not just for the believer, but specifically for Harbor City. Okay? So read this with me. Thank you. You can take your hands off your body. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. I'm going to read 17 and 18. I'm in the ESV. It says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Listen to this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now listen, friends. This passage that I just read to you, these two verses, these two verses have changed my life. Like, I mean, had a significant impact on my life. And the reason it has is because it holds within it one of the most powerful truths in all of the Bible. And that's this. If you're taking notes, write this down, okay? You become like what you behold. That's what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He's saying, you become like what you behold. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. One degree is like a really small measurement, right? Like One degree at a time we're becoming, we're looking more like Jesus. How and why? As we behold him. So hear me. Do you know what it means to behold? It means to, to give your attention to something, your undivided attention. Not like, I mean, Jamie already joked around the cell phone thing, right? Not like, oh, yeah, I'm listening, but I'm kind of checking stuff. I'm talking your undivided attention, beholding him. You become like what you behold. So talk to me, okay? This is, I want this to be more of like an interactive thing. My, my, uh, my effectiveness as a, as a preacher, as a teacher, is directly related to your participation. So if you don't participate, this is going to go real bad, okay? <clears throat> so talk to me. What do you give your attention to? Think about this. What do you, sport? Absolutely. What else? Anything else? Any, any parents in the room? Yeah, kids all day long, right? All day or day. What, like, but think about this. And it, it, maybe some of you don't want to like, answer out loud. That's okay. What do you give your attention to? Take the pulse. What do you give your attention to? I read a stat recently. This is crazy. Okay, <clears throat> but it a stat regarding uh, smartphones, you know, cell phones, smartphones, and it said that the average person touches their smartphone, guess how many times per day? Hundreds? What, what, any of their guesses? Over a thousand times a day. I was like, That's, there's no way, and then multiple different studies verified this. The average person touches their cell phone over a thousand times a day. What do you give your attention to? Right? Get this stat. Um, and this is, this is now three years old. In 2020, the year 2020, uh, 674 billion U.S. dollars was spent on advertising. What is that in rand? Like, a tr like trillions of rand? Like, think about that. 
that almost seemingly unfathomable amount of money was spent in one calendar year on advertising. Hear me. Do you have any idea how valuable your attention is? Corporations do. And they're willing to spend billions and billions of U.S. dollars, trillions and trillions of rand for your attention. Consider that for a second. They know what the Bible teaches, I think, maybe better than we do. They know that you become like what you behold. You start to look like the things you look at. You with me? That's why they're spending so much money for your attention, friends. So what gets your attention? I really want you, to, before you leave tonight, I want you to come up with some of the things that are, that are getting your attention throughout your life. What really gets your attention? Not the things that you're proud of, like your internet history. That's getting your attention. What you search for on YouTube gets your attention. Like how, if, if you could zoom out of your life and just go like, how am I spending my time? Like what's, what am I actually beholding? You got to know this. And I'm not saying that to condemn anybody in the room. We all need Jesus, right? Am I the only person? Put your hand in the air if you need Jesus. Like, thank you, okay? I'm not the only person who struggles with sin, right? We need him, right? So let's just level the playing field and go, nobody in this room is perfect. What do you give your attention to? You got to know it, friends. The reason you got to know it is because you become like what you behold. Did you know that you can become like Jesus? I know you know that, but I have to ask you the question. Like, have you thought about that recently? You can become like Jesus. And when I say become like Jesus, I don't mean that you can, like, become God, right? I'm not talking divinity. I'm talking discipleship. You can become like Jesus, right? A disciple is someone who's learning. That's what disciple means. It means learning. It's someone who's learning so that there's a process happening, right? A disciple is someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of their life. You with me? That verse that we just read, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that's the Apostle Paul's entire strategy for discipleship. Look at him. Just look at him. Do whatever you got to do to give your undivided attention to Jesus. Behold Jesus. Why? Because you become like what you behold. Like, listen, there's so many examples of this fleshing out in the scriptures. I could go through a bunch of them with you, but I don't, I don't have a whole lot of time tonight. But I want to set the table for our weekend together. Because I want you to hold on to this. I want the truth of what's written in God's word in 2 Corinthians 3.18 to really penetrate your heart and your mind. To guide you. To let the spirit of God that's in you. It says it in verse 17 and then again in 18. This is the work of the spirit and it produces a freedom. Anybody in the room enjoy freedom? Not being bound and in bondage? No, we all need it. We crave it, Right? This is the work of the Spirit in you. And there's a bunch of ways that we can see this play out in Scripture, but there's one that I feel like God kept bringing me back to for you. For Harbor City. And it's in Matthew chapter 14. Will you go ahead and flip, go ahead and flip over there? Matthew chapter 14. It's a familiar story. I'm going to be in the Christian Standard Bible translation now. I told you I'd jump around, but I think that the CSB really nails this. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. I'm going to read this. 
all the way through verse 33, okay? You guys there? You with me? And my fly is down. I'm, I'm fixing it in case you want to. I am a human being. My fly is down. Thanks, everybody, for letting me know. Appreciate it. I'm totally kidding. Okay, starting in verse 22. It says this. Immediately, he. Who's the he there? Say his name. Say his name, somebody. Jesus. Yeah. Immediately, Jesus. Listen to this. Underline this made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds, okay? So Jesus got the, just got ministering. He's dismissing the crowds. He sends his disciples in the boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Get this picture in your mind. Verse 23. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Picture it in your mind. Well into the night, he was there alone, middle of the night. Meanwhile, his disciples are where? They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Meanwhile, the boat that he sent his disciples in was already some distance from the land. Listen to this. Battered by the waves because the wind was against them. So there's this storm happening, right? Verse 25. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. I just picture this. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. Verse 30. But when Peter saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly you are the son of God. Okay. <clears throat> I want you to get this picture of like a storm in Jesus and his disciples. What's a storm? Okay. Actually, really interesting definition. Uh, this is what the, the dictionary has to say about a storm. A storm is a violent disturbance of the atmosphere. A violent disturbance of the atmosphere. Interesting fact for the first time in like almost a hundred years, a hurricane was supposed to, hit, supposed to hit the coast of Southern California. Uh, California, guys, this was what, like a month ago-ish, a couple weeks ago. Uh, did you guys hear about this? Did you hear about this? Okay. So hurricanes don't hit Southern California. It's like a super rare thing. But we all, the news come, kicks on and it tells everybody, hey, there's this Category 4 hurricane that's supposed to just smash California. So us being Californians, we don't get a whole lot of storms. When, when it rains outside, people, like, burst into tears. They don't know how to drive. They're just not used to, like, inclement weather like that, okay? So let alone a Category 4 hurricane. So people are, like, stocking up on water. It's like COVID all over again. They're taking all the toilet paper out of the grocery stores, like, all the things. And rightfully so, they don't know what to expect, and they're trying to brace for the storm. Well... By the time it actually hit us in Southern California, it had been like downgraded to what they call a tropical storm. 
Lots of rain, lots of wind, but not a Category 4 hurricane. Just south of California in Baja, they got jacked up. Baja, Mexico, like flooding and all the things. And you guys know all about flooding. It ended up being downgraded. It wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. And I remember being like, wow, I'd never been in a hurricane before, and then it didn't end up being in a hurricane. And on the flip side, like, I've been in other storms where, like, the damage, no one said, like, a hurricane's coming, but the damage was, like, significant, and it was severe. And I'm like, where was the warning on that one? Storms have a way of kind of coming out of nowhere. Suddenly, immediately, you read this language. You can't really plan for storms. You can't schedule them, but they happen nonetheless. A disturbance of the atmosphere. Let's talk about you. How's your atmosphere doing in this season of your life? How's your atmosphere? Is there anybody in the room, you're in the middle of a storm. Your atmosphere is being disturbed in ways that are unsettling, that are causing maybe some anxiety, some fear, some worry. Listen, this is my first time back since COVID, back to Durban. We used to come at least once a year. I know if we don't know each other, I just need you to know, like, I honor, respect, and love your city, your nation, your church. As a visitor, you guys have always been so kind to me and my family and my partners. And, like, you guys are, you guys are some of the most wonderful, hospitable, beautiful people I've ever met. And I'm not saying that to be, like, hyperbolic. I'm saying that because you're really special. If I think about the last few years as from... from like observing Dur- Durban from afar, I'm going, oh, there's been some storms. There's been some violent disturbances of your atmosphere. Am I wrong? Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's, it's big, big storm. Sometimes it's little. Like getting here, <laughs> that, was, that was a disturbance of our atmosphere. Let me just give you to you, not to complain, but I want you to, I want this to resonate with you just so you know, like, we're committed to, like, being your friends. <clears throat> so we're, we leave on Monday morning, okay? We get to the airport, and they're like, hey, your flight's going to be delayed. I'm like, okay, how long? I only have, like, a two-hour layover in Atlanta before I have to fly. We're going to be supposed to fly to Cape Town. I'm like, oh, it shouldn't be a moment. So, so they, 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 they board our plane. So we're like, okay, cool. After 45 minutes, they, the, air, the air conditioning's not on. So you can imagine a plane full of hundreds of people that are like, hey, we're all sweating and it stinks in here now. Like, what's the deal? I thought we were leaving. And like, hey, sorry, we need everyone to get off the plane. And I'm going, dang it. And I'm looking at my watch going like, this is getting to get close. Like, I got I to, gotta like, take an international flight after this domestic flight. I need at least an hour to do that, you know. Time goes by, time goes by, time goes by. And it becomes clear like, even if we left right now, I wouldn't make it in time. I'm going to miss my flight. And so I'm, I'm already irritated. It's, it's uh, Millie, my daughter. It's her first time coming to Africa. I want to, as her dad, kind of cultivate an experience for her, right? And so I, we, I wait in this long, super long line to talk to the, you know, the, the Delta representative. Don't ever fly Delta, <laughs> okay? I'm telling you. I hope you're, Delta, I hope you're listening. I hope this is being recorded. Do not get on their airplanes, okay? <clears throat> and there's this woman behind a keyboard, and she's click, 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 click. 
and I'm trying to be cool because I know she's got power. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, hey, I'm going to be really kind to this lady. And she's being totally not cool. I'm like, hey, I understand things happen. Like, I just need to get, I need to get there as soon as possible. And she's like, well, yeah, there's just nothing I can do. Good save. Yes, Bradley Sarian. Woo! That's a spirit-filled man right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Talking about storms. Get ready. Like a mighty rushing wind. That's what we prayed for, guys. Fill the room. Uh, <clears throat> all right, you guys get, you stay with me. They're going to they're gonna serve us and love us. So flight gets delayed. She's telling me, she's like, there's nothing I can do. And the reason we were flying to Cape Town is because we could get a, a much cheaper flight to Cape Town, spend a day and a half there, fight the jet lag, and then do a domestic flight to Durban, and it, would, it saved us like hundreds of U.S. dollars per ticket. So that was our plan. And she's working it out going like, yeah, there's, there's, you know, I can't get you there. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I, I have to get there. And I'm like, okay, well, how about this? Can you just get me to Durban before Thursday? Can you just get me there? And she's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, Brad's flying out of a different, um, a different airport in L.A. I'm in one of, like, a smaller regional airport. <clears throat> and Brad's like, hey, I'm on this Emirates flight that goes from LAX to Dubai and Dubai to Durban. So I, I've been on that route. So I'm like, hey, my friend, I know there's something you can do. My friend is on another flight leaving tomorrow, all this stuff. And she's like, no, that's not an affiliate airline. I'm sorry. And they kept saying this, guys, they kept saying this phrase to me, I'm sorry for the inconvenience. And after like the sixth or seventh time they said it, everything inside of me is like raging. And I'm trying to hold it together. Like it was just like, come on. So long story short, they, they, they end up flying us to Atlanta. We missed that connecting flight. They kept us overnight there. They lost our luggage, so we don't have access to anything. They give us a free hotel room. And they make you take their shuttle all the way to the hotel room. We get there, and we literally at that point, I think, had like seven hours before we had to check out of the hotel. But our flight wasn't for like 19 hours. So we have to like either sit in the lobby. Like, what are we going to do? There's all, it was a nightmare. So we finally get back to the airport. We're hanging out. We're, okay, we're so close. We're, we're going to get, we're going to board this plane. It's going to take us to Joburg, and then we're going to hop over from Joburg to, to Durban. We get there. Guess what happens to that flight? They delay that one too, okay? So then we're on like a 15-hour flight flying to Johannesburg knowing we're barely, like we're going to have to sprint through the airport just to make the flight to Durban. So we get there. I talk to the lady in the airport. I'm like, hey, or the lady on the plane. I'm like, can, you like, can we like leave the plane before anybody else just so that we can try to make this flight? And she's like, yeah. So we get there. We even like cut the line. People were kind, let us cut the line going through customs, you know? And my poor daughter, I mean, we're sprinting through the airport. Like, people are like, did they steal something? Like, we're just running, dude. And Millie's like, Dad, I can't, I can't breathe. I'm like, keep up, babe. You got this. Let's go. We run to the gate. It's all the way across the airport. And the woman's closing the door. And she's like, I'm like, I'm like hey, we're here. She's like, sorry, the shuttle already left. I'm like, we'll run after the shuttle. Like, come on, we can do this. Like, and she's like, no, I'm sorry for the inconvenience. And at that point, we'd been awake for, you know, three days. So they put us up in a hotel in Joburg. And we got to be there for four hours before we had to head back to the airport for the connecting flight. And so hear me. And, oh, yeah, they lost our luggage on that one, too. 
What should have taken 22 hours, that should have been the entirety of our trip, took 72 hours. How many of you know that was a bit of a disturbance to our atmosphere? On the big scheme of things, friends, that's a small storm. And I, and I remember thinking, like, I just kept being like, Jesus, what are you doing? Because everything that could go wrong would go wrong. And I found myself getting kind of cynical. Like, I was texting my guys back and forth, my friends, the guys in this room. And I'm like, I'm finding myself getting cynical in even the words that I'm saying. Anything that could go wrong, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It felt like one kind of storm after another just trying to get here. Like, why, God? I'm not like trying to manufacture coming to Durban. I feel like God sent us here. Why would you send us into that, Jesus? This disturbance of our atmosphere. Did you notice what Jesus did with his disciples in this passage? I had you underline it. He, he sent his disciples into this storm. Look at it, verse 22. He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Jesus sent them. And we knew Jesus sent us on this trip to be with you, to love you, to continue to develop our friendship. So Jesus sent us here, and it felt like one storm after another storm after another storm. And I remember I was just like kind of praying. I'm like, God, why? And I'm getting irritated at this point. Like, I'm your servant, Lord. I should have the, I should be upgraded to business class on the way to these fly. Or the way, I, ridiculous. I know, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the, thank you for the laugh, brother. No, but like I'm just, be, I'm being like my mind started to go there. Like I'm entitled. Why, God? One storm after another. And here's what the Spirit said to me. And it immediately humbled me. And I'm going to try not to lose it telling you this. I felt, like he's like, I felt like he said, I want you to have a small, tiny, like itty-bitty taste of what my people in Durban have felt. One storm after another after another, after another. Like riots, floods, people leaving, people you love, people you care about, immigration, faces that you, you don't see anymore. People you love and you built connection with of have gone. A lot of transition for your church. A lot of stuff. Oh yeah, throw COVID in there too. And all of the things. One storm after another storm after another storm after another storm of these disturbances in your atmosphere. The Hebrew concept for mercy, we, we use that word a lot, right? Mercy. The Hebrew concept around mercy is, is stunningly beautiful. It's the idea of putting the other person on. 
like in America, we use a phrase, walking a mile in another man's shoes. Does that sound kind of familiar, you guys? Does that resonate? That's kind of the, the, the Hebrew concept of mercy. It's, it's putting on another person, seeing life through their eyes, their experiences, what it must be like for them. That's mercy. Think about what God says he has mercy on us. Like, mercy. And I'm just convinced. I, I love what Jamie said about my daughter, Amelia. I think you're spot on. I think that's what the Spirit wants to do in my girl. And at the exact same time, he's fathering her through all that, all those mini storms that we went through. He's fathering me too. And I think what he's wanting me to learn is he's wanting me to have, I think he's wanting me to grow in my mercy for you. And for the things that you've no doubt experienced the last few years, these violent disturbances of your atmosphere, these storms, how disruptive they can be, how discouraging they can be, how hard they can be, how cynical we can be tempted to be, how, like, we can start to just find ourselves, our minds going to places that we didn't think it would ever go to. Verse 24 puts it this way. It says the disciples were, quote, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Real talk. Have you ever felt that way the last few years? Like there's this opposing, like there's things in opposition to you. The wind and the waves blowing against you. So these disciples, they're trying to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, right? And this storm is it's hindering their process. They're just trying to get to Durban, man. They're just trying to go where God sent them. They're just trying to be a good husband or a good wife or a good parent or a good friend or a good disciple. They're just trying to follow Jesus, right? And then boom, storm hits. Violent disturbance of the atmosphere hits. They're just trying to obey Jesus, And the storm is hindering their progress. You ever feel like no matter how kind of, they're in the boat, right? You ever feel like no matter how kind of hard you row, no matter how, like, like, no matter what technique you use to row, like, it just isn't working. I'm just trying to get ahead. And there's this opposition. Guys, I really believe that that God wanted to give me just the smallest, tiny taste of some of the things that you've been experiencing these last few years. Storm after storm after storm, the wind and the waves fighting against you. And hear me, I know it's not just communal storms. I know it's not just your city, your nation. I know it's personal stuff. It's, it's, it's you. There's storms that you're facing. Just in a room this size, statistically, there's going to be significant financial storms that people are facing in this room. There's going to be significant health storms that people are facing or loved ones in your life that you deeply care about are facing. There's going to be relational storms and, and, and circumstantial storms like dealing with Delta customer service, okay? But like all this stuff, right? Like I know it's not just on the macro, on the big scheme of things, although it is and that affects every single man, woman, and child in this nation. But it's individual too, is it, is it, is it not? 
And so here's my desire. Okay, humbly as your brother, as someone who just loves you and cares about you, even though we're di- our relationship is still growing. Like, my desire is to genuinely encourage you tonight, to kind of set the tone for our time. And I want to encourage you with the truth of 2 Corinthians 3.18, that even when it's stormy, and I would say especially when it's stormy, friends, you become like what you behold. You become like what you behold. So what then does it look like to behold Jesus when there are violent disruptions of your atmosphere? What does it look like to behold Jesus in the storm when you're afraid, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're depressed, when you're cynical, when you're down, when you lose hope? What does it look like to look and to behold at Je- to behold Jesus in those spaces? I think Peter can show us something here really beautiful. Look back at verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage, guys. Have courage. It's me. It's I. Don't be afraid. And then look what Peter, look what Peter does. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus gives him the invitation. Right? Come on. Come on. You followed me out here, like, in the boat under the lake. Now follow me even further, Peter. Come follow me under the water. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water. And he came toward Jesus. But when he saw, everybody say saw. When he saw the strength of the wind... He was afraid and began, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Do you see what's happening here? I want you to get this picture, guys. When Peter's attention was on Jesus, when he was beholding Jesus, what happened to him? He became like Jesus to the point that he walked on the water like Jesus walked on the water. And then it says that he saw the strength of the storm. So, so his attention, he, he was beholding Jesus, and he was becoming like Jesus. He was doing what Jesus did in spectacular fashion, right? And then his attention shifted onto what? On the dangers, on the anxieties, on the, on the wind and the waves. And then what happened to him? He began to sink, huh? There's so much here, guys. One of the things that's here is this is a picture of formation into the likeness of Jesus, okay? Hear me. You and I, we're always being formed. We're always being formed into the likeness of something because what you behold, you will become like. We're either either being formed more into the likeness of Jesus or we're being deformed into the likeness of the ungodly culture around us. And what's the determining factor? The determining factor is simply this. Whatever you behold, whatever you actually give your attention to, and not like on the surface, like you're deep inside you, right? Like deep inside your attention, your devotion, what you behold, because you become like what you behold. Listen, that's my prayer for you. My prayer for Harbor City is that you would be formed more by your Savior and less by your storms. 
that you be formed more by Jesus, your Savior, and less by your storms. Because hear me, you are just like me. We are human beings made in the image of God, and we are always being formed into the likeness of something. But here's the thing. For that to happen, for you to be formed more into the likeness of your Savior and less like your storms, less by your storms, I should say, it's going to require something of you. When Peter had his eyes on Jesus, he became like Jesus to the point that he walked on water, right? Harbor City. I believe this is a season where God is calling you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Like, to do whatever it takes. Hear me. I'm talking whatever it takes to fix your eyes on Jesus. To behold him, no matter what comes at you. Listen. You wouldn't be in this room if you weren't a resilient man or woman. Your community would not exist if you were not a resilient community. And by resilient, I mean when the wind kicks up really high, it doesn't completely blow your house down. So hear me. I believe this is a season where God's calling you to fix your eyes on Jesus, to behold him no matter what comes your way. And I want you to see, I'm going to end with this. I want you to see Three things. Let's behold Jesus in this passage for just a minute. Let me just talk about Jesus. <laughs> I, could t- I could preach at you and say, behold Jesus, look at him. Let's, let's do it, though. Just really quick. Just in this passage, I want you to see three things. I want you to see the reality that Jesus is present in the storm. That means he's not absent. No matter how freaked out the disciples were, no matter how much they were giving themselves over to fear, no matter how much the anxiety rose, no matter how intense the storm was, who, where was he? He was with them in the storm. That means he's not absent no matter what happens around you. I'm here to tell you Jesus is present in the storm. Some of you, some of you felt alone. Some of you are in this community and you feel more alone than you have in years. But I'm here to tell you you're not alone. Because those disruptions to your atmosphere, oh, God in the flesh is with you. His spirit, you, you put your hand on your chest and you put your hand on your belly and you giggled when we did that little exercise. The spirit of God is in you and he has an agenda and he's trying to get you to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Don't look at the wind. Don't look at the waves. It doesn't mean they're not there. It's not about living in denial. It's about looking to the Savior. Look at him. Behold him. If you just look at him, if you can just fight through the noise and fight through the storm and just fix your eyes on Jesus, you'll become more like him. And you'll start to do the things that he did. To the point where you're joining him out on the water. Walking on top of the storm. He's present. And I want you to see what he's doing here. I want you to see what, behold what Jesus is doing. It's interesting. In Matthew chapter 8, this is Matthew 14. So just a handful of chapters earlier, there's another story of Jesus with his disciples in a very real dangerous storm. And in that, if you remember the story, right? Like Jesus is sleeping on the boat. You guys know the story? Talk to me. Yeah? Okay, so you know the story. So Jesus, he's in the boat. He's asleep. His disciples wake him up. They're freaking out. Same thing. They're freaking out. And you remember what Jesus does? He gets up and he's like, gosh, why, why do you guys have such weak faith? He gets up and he tells the storm to stop, and it does. He calms the storm in Matthew chapter 8, right? But here in Matthew chapter 14, did you notice he doesn't stop the storm? But he he, but he does get the disciples through it, doesn't he? he, he it says he, he, they did make their way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. 
But them getting to the other side of the Sea of Galilee was not dependent on him stopping the storm. So hear me. Whether Jesus calms the storm like he did in chapter 8 or whether he's walking on its waves in chapter 14, the second thing I want you to see here is Jesus is sovereign over every single storm you're going to face. He's sovereign over every single storm you're going to face. When I say sovereign, here's what I mean by sovereign. This is the definition of sovereign. The one who exercises power without limitation. The supreme ruler. Jesus is sovereign over every single storm that you face. Every storm. And I love it. He didn't just walk on the water. He walked on the waves. He walked on the very thing that was causing those disciples to freak out. And, and here's, what's, here's what's wild. Those are ex-professional fishermen. They're, they know their way around the water. They know their way around the boat. And that storm was having such an effect on them, they thought they were going to die. The things that were causing them to believe that their boat's going to sink, the very thing that the fear was getting to them with, Jesus was walking on that. And not only that, guys, what does he do? He invites Peter to get out there with him. He gives him the invitation, come join me. Listen, I believe Harbor City's been in a season where Jesus hasn't stopped the storms. One storm after another storm after another storm after another storm. That weighs on a person, doesn't it? I believe that you're in a season where Jesus hasn't stopped the storm, but he's inviting you to fix your eyes on him and join him on walking on its waves. Because you become like what you behold. So hear me. Do you, do you see the power? Do you see the power here for you? Dare I say this might be the most profound season your church has ever been in after 10 years. The opportunity in front of you to become more like Jesus and to literally impact other people beholding him and becoming like him just through you simply orienting your life around, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. No matter what's going on around me, I'm with my brothers and my sisters, and I'm, I'm giving everything I got to behold him because it's going to result to me becoming like him. So what would it look like for you? Let's make it personal for a second. What would it look like for you to operate like Jesus in the storms that you're facing? Let's think, don't think huge picture right now. Think you, just you and your world, the way that God's wired you. What would it look like for you to operate like Jesus in the storms that you're facing? In other words, how would Jesus walk on the waves that are battling against you? I really like Dallas Willard's language. He says, what would Jesus do if he was you? Remember the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? That man, that caught fire all over the world. It's beautiful. I love it. I actually prefer what Dallas Willard says better. What would Jesus do if he was you in your situation, in the storm that you're facing? So just to review, Jesus is present in the storm. That means he's with you. He's sovereign over every storm. That means he has limitless power. Do we believe that about him? He has limitless power. And the final thing, just really quickly, he's the rescuer. He's the rescuer, right? He delivers his disciples safely to the other side. 
This picture has so much depth. But I think the one that's probably the most beautiful, the deepest one here, is it's, the be- it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's the beautiful picture of the gospel. Like people that God loves dearly, caught in the deadliest storm of all, the storm of sin. Right? And the sovereign Lord shows up to them in the middle of it to provide rescue. To provide the perfect life in your place that you couldn't do, that I couldn't do. And he doesn't just provide that perfect life, that perfect report card, right? That perfect, the righteousness. He doesn't just provide that. He also provides his body and his blood in our place. As the sacrificial substitute, the death that we deserve. This is a, this is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus. God rescuing the people he loves in the storms of sin. How? Through the cross. You guys know this. The beauty of the cross. Jesus rescuing us. And hear me. Ultimately, ultimately the day is coming when God brings those who trust in him safely to the other side. What do I mean by that? You know what I mean by that. The day is coming when the fullness of the kingdom of heaven is going to be realized on the earth. You know what that means? That means no more sorrow. No more tears, no more sin, no more pain, no more death, and no more storms. The love of Jesus, friends. All right, here's how I want to I close. If you're okay with this, Jamie. Ben, can you just kind of come up for a bit? 